Hello, this is Nancy Blakey, author of Conversations Itself. And in this episode, Manny and I talk about how to make every conversation count to earn more business and grow your company. And we do that with productive conversations focused on what's in it for them. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books. Every Monday and Wednesday, we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs. Books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, personal development, and much, much more. And I am your host, Manny Vaya. Nancy Blakey is the founder and president of SalesPro Insider, a training company which she founded in 1998. SalesPro Insider is a company whose mission is to help businesses grow sales and create raving fans and encourage employee engagement. Today, we're talking about Nancy's outstanding book on sales, Conversations That Sell, Collaborate with Buyers, and Make Every Conversation Count. Nancy, I'm really excited to have you on the show and talk about this really important topic on sales. So welcome. Thanks for having me, Manny. Thank you. Uh, Let's start off by asking... Why should an ambitious entrepreneur read this book, Conversations That Sell? An ambitious, that's a good one. Ambitious entrepreneurs should read the book because if they want their company to succeed, they need to be able to master conversations that sell to earn business and provide value along the sale as well as with their solution after the sale. Boom. Now let's talk about this book. How did this book come about? Like, What was your business story? Tell us your business story and what led you to writing the book. I think that my path to writing a book is a little different from some authors because often people write a book and then support their business, you know, set up their business to support that. Where we have been in business since 1998 And part of what we do is provide world-class behavior change training for organizations in sales, service, and coaching. And our flagship course is called Genuine Sales, and it's it's a 10-week process that's very productive. And Amicon, the publisher, was looking for new authors, and they reached out to some well-known, high-profile authors, and Jill Conrath was one of them, and they said, you know, who isn't published that you think should be? And she gave them a list of names. And so they contacted me and said, we understand that you know you have a great message about sales that's a little different than many others focused on one specific thing. And, and that led into a book deal. Um, so my business path was being a consultant and training company. And then the book was an output that helped solidify the messaging around productive sales conversations. Right. You have been in the sales industry, if you say, for almost 18 years, 20 years now? Yes, absolutely. Wow. So there's a lot to learn from you. And I'm excited to dig into the book. So let's talk about it. And the first thing, I mean, I love to read a lot of books on sales and marketing and all this stuff. And one of the things that stood out as I was reading the book was the importance of you in selling because I think there's a story and we love stories here. So tell us as many stories as you want. But there's a story early on in your career when you had hired someone to do the selling for you and it wasn't really working. So tell us about that. Well, there was a couple of things early in my career. I I wasn't really comfortable with sales. So I started my firm, probably like a lot of the entrepreneurs listening to this, because I wanted flexibility. I believed I could, you know, bring a service to a lot of companies versus just the one that I was with. 
And I really didn't want to dive deep into sales myself, even though that's what I help sales organizations do. So early on, you know, I used other people. And even when I was selling, I very much relied on my solution, what we were selling versus what do I bring to the table as well, as far as value, as far as the conversations, as far as insights, et cetera. And so early on, I had a really big deal. I mean, within the first month of like saying I'm in business, I had a really big opportunity and there was about 14 people on the decision-making team. And I had someone else involved and then I showed up at some of the meetings as well when it was time for big presentations and focused very, very much on the training solution that they were looking for and what they were gonna get for it. So we got through the first cuts you know, of looking at suppliers and somebody on the team who I knew called me and said, you know what, it's yours to lose at this point. But I gotta tell you, they like the solution, but they don't want you delivering it. And I, I was just flabbergasted, like, why not? I'm the expert on the, and she said, because they never got to know you during the process because someone else was involved and because I just took this very factual role versus all in, here's the Nancy Blakey expertise and such. So I had to bring in another high level consultant to deliver the service to earn that contract. And I did it because it was a huge multi-year contract. And then about a year into the contract, I was with a group of the leaders and this woman said to me like, where were you during the sale? And I was like, well, I was at three of the meetings and, and she's like, yeah, but when you were there, it was like you were Vanna White. You were standing and you were pointing and you were giving facts, but we never got to get a sense of you. And she goes, a year into it, working with you, you are funny, you're engaging, you're so knowledgeable, you're way better than the guy you have in here. But we didn't know that, so we weren't comfortable going with it. And that was a huge lesson to me about the importance of you. First of all, we aren't just selling a, a solution, especially with entrepreneurs. We're, we're part of that solution, and we need to own that and bring our best selves every time into all of our interactions, because that's what's going to build our brand and build loyalty. Yeah, absolutely. This is such an essential component of succeeding in business, not just in sales in general. The idea that we have to be ourselves and present ourselves the way our personality is what makes the business go. And if we try to blend in and if we try to be uh, vanilla, we try to be like everyone else, we're really losing our big time. I mean, that is almost the essence of succeeding in business, to be ourselves and to be open to being ourselves rather than try to um, blend in. I agree with you with a caveat is that we need to be genuine. You know, that's why we call our training genuine because we give people really productive frameworks and good practices, but everyone's got to make them their own. So, you know, that's when people say, well, what are the words I need to say at this part? What are the exact words? And it's like, here, let's talk about what we're trying to accomplish. And here's the framework for doing that. But let's work on what words are right coming out of your mouth. You know, what, you know, and the caveat, though, to being about being you is that while you're being you, you still have to honor and respect that person and what they need and you know that they have 
specific data, you know, needs, and they have a sp- specific level of personal connection they, they need. And that's different. So the, the real expertise is adjusting how we're working with people to make it be the way they need and still not lose ourselves. Hmm. What you call adopt and adapt in some ways. Adopt and adapt, exactly. Yeah, Adopting the best practices and the behaviors and the skills and then making them our own. Right. People will say, give me the script for this. And to me, a script is only, it's great for training. It's great for practicing and finding your cadence, your words, your flow, your confidence. But that when you're in a conversation with someone else, a script is only as good as much as the other person follows the script too. So if we're relying on a script, we still have to be present and be ready to go off script to work with that person, help them get to the decision that they need to make. Absolutely. And I mean, the title of the book says it all. It's a conversation. It's Mm -hmm. not a script. It's not a pitch. And uh, I mean, far too long, we've been indoctrinated into the idea of making a sales pitch but you're saying we need to have a conversation. And it's almost like, as you say, it, it is collaborative. We're not on the opposing sides of the table. No, we're not. Yeah, tell us about that. So, you know, to me, I've observed thousands and thousands of sales situations. Besides my own, I get to watch other people and give feedback. And there is definitely an approach and a feel to a, con- to a, to a contact with somebody else. And when some salespeople go into it, they go into it in a couple of different ways. Sometimes I'm the consultant. So as a consultant, I know more than you. Therefore, I'm going to you know, tell you all the great things I know. And you're like my recipient, my audience member. And I'm going to you know, make sure that you understand I know more than you and then lead you to wanting to work with me because you can't live without me. Okay, there's that. Then there's the person that's just in there to do the pitch. And I always say you have to ditch the pitch because pitching is pitching at somebody, not with them. And then there's collaboration. And to me, collaboration is being as knowledgeable as possible, but being open to their knowledge and their opinion and their experiences as much as your own. And so when you go into a sales contact with the focus on making it a conversation with another person, it changes the whole dynamic of a back and forth information sharing with us as the sales professional or business owner guiding that conversation to you know get to an outcome and that outcome might be a sale the outcome might be identifying that person's not a good fit for what you're doing and the sooner we learn that the better we can spend our time elsewhere as well so uh, it's a conversation with somebody versus going in and selling to them or pitching at them. Yeah, absolutely. It's the difference between sitting on on the two sides of the table compared to sitting on the same side of the table and working together. And Mm -hmm. one of the things you talk about is the idea of P-Pound or P-W-O-N. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but but problems, opportunities, wants, and needs. Uh, Let's talk about that. The pawn. Yeah, we call it the pawn. So often in sales, people say, you know what, you need to get in there and you look need to find their needs, needs analysis, or you need to find their pain. There's a lot of training that still focuses on, you know, dig for the pain, find out where they hurt the most, find them out what keeps them up at night. 
and that most people are resistant to that. They feel they're being sold to, they feel they're being manipulated in some way or led somewhere that might not be in their best interest. And instead, we need to prepare and we need to investigate problems, opportunities, wants, and needs. So if we can help identify problems they're having, then we can work with them as a problem solver. If we can help them educate educate them and bring some insight into opportunities, things that maybe they hadn't thought of that could be better, um, we then, you know, can be a great value to them. And then, of course, we can't forget about wants and needs that people have. And needs are something that they need to do. But people often shortcut and don't explore the wants because the wants are pretty much emotional based. And if we understand their emotional drive or motivation to do something, we can better position the value that they're really going to get if they work with us and take on our solution. Yeah, I mean, unless we can get into the emotional side of the equation, we really cannot even gain the trust of the other side or trust of the person that we are working with. You know, and it's funny because when people say emotions, I think some people like automatically put their hand out like, no, that's too touchy feely. If we're talking business, you know, that's not the right thing. And the most analytical people I know still have emotional factors that they consider in their decisions. They might not admit it outright. You know, I think a lot of people still make emotional decisions and then back them up with logic. Yep. But we as the salespeople cannot ignore that the emotions and the emotions are fear. You know, the emotions are in our model. We talk about identifying, you know, today information, tomorrow, where they want or need to be. But then we also have to explore the risks and rewards. So the risks and rewards for what's going on today, which talks about gets into emotional factors, and also the risks and rewards if they get to that future state that they're looking for. And and so it's not touchy-feely emotions necessarily, but it's people. And we're driven emotionally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's almost laughable no matter where, no matter how cold and collected you might be, you're still an emotional human being with a rational side to you, not necessarily a rational human being with an emotional side to you. That's just the truth of our existence. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And uh, you have a term there that you use in collaborative selling, the idea of WIFT or W-I-I-F, with it. Yeah. which is what's in it for them. Right. It is. What's in it for them? And and that's what we need to be focused on in our conversation, because it, from the beginning of the conversation, how we start it to how we ask our questions to how we explain what our solution can do for them to how we work through objections and ask for decisions or commitments. When all of that is done with a focus on what's in it for them, it helps us make sure that anything we're discussing is relevant to them. And we might have 12 talking points, but if we've done a good investigation, we might only need to explain to them the three that matter most to them. And that's going to move the sale along um, because it's focused on them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think we've been covering kind of the inner game of the overall selling, but you also talk about like a process in the sense that there is a process to this conversation. There's a method to this madness. There's uh, there's a system 
uh, around this whole thing. And uh, um, it almost ties back to the initial conversation when we started off and I was saying, well, we need to be ourselves. But you said with a caveat and the caveat was along the lines that we need to train ourselves with the system and adapt to the system and mm-hmm. actually work with the process. So let's talk about this process, the system of conversation. Okay. So, you know, if we look at almost anything that we accomplish every day from tying our shoes to, uh, you know, how we might leave our home and getting our keys and our getting the laptop, etc., we are creatures of, ha- of creating systems to do things more efficiently, to do them more effectively and get those desired outcomes. And in my studying of people's conversations and selling, um, there is definitely a flow to a productive sales conversation. Now, of course, there's, there's ebbs and flows to it when you're in a real conversation, but there are pieces of the conversation that we need to, to do. And it starts with, do you want me to cover what the specifics are? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, you know, we use that acronym, what's in it for them, which is W-I-I-F-T. And we use that in all capital letters as our five steps. And I consider it a framework um, to our conversation. And a framework is what keeps us safe. It allows us to know, you know, this is what we have to operate within, but there's a lot of flexibility within it for us to be us, for us to let them be them and to, you know, follow the situation. So it starts with the the weight and the weight is instead of jumping into a conversation, jumping into, you know, making that first phone call or the first moment that someone says, well, yeah, I'll meet with you. We need to wait, meaning we need to prepare. And first, We need to prepare on paper or online um, and really map out the conversation and do some research so that we can go in ready to have a, a relevant conversation. And then we need to also prepare for those moments right before we make the connection. So we need to, maybe it's 30 seconds, maybe it's two minutes, but we have to break our own preoccupation and focus on them and be ready to make it about them. So that's that's how it's the conversation starts with us totally in control and how well we get ready mentally and in writing for that meeting. Got it. And I think it's underrated the idea of preparation on paper or on online because um, it's almost like people just want to have a go at it. But if we prepare, if we really try to understand our audience and focus on what's in it for them, what's in it for them in this conversation, uh, and literally write it down, write down the talking points, we have a much easier shot or much um, better shot at accomplishing what we're after rather than going in without any preparation. Absolutely. I mean, we have done studies uh, among sales teams of people that prepare and people that don't. And we have found there's a 17% more effective, higher effectiveness for those people that will regularly prepare. And think about 17%. Who doesn't want 17% you know, more effectiveness in their conversations and in their sales? Um, but it is one of those things. Everyone knows it's important, and everybody makes excuses on why they don't have the time. And it's fascinating. At the end of our 10-week course where there's been a comp- accountability for preparing and there's been reporting for it and such is that it's 
almost always one of the top three benefits that people say they got is now that they are disciplined in their preparation. And and we do this whole five minute challenge and show right away when we start working with groups that it's in five minutes, you can totally change the dynamic of your conversation with just five minutes of preparation. If you're focused on the right things in your preparation. Absolutely. So that's where it starts. And then, of course, you know, then we go into the conversation itself. And that's where, you know, there's there's this flow. And so every conversation needs to be initiated. That's the start. And we have to do that very purposefully where we set an agenda. And what we're doing is trying to help break their preoccupation and earn the right, earn permission to move forward. And sometimes people will tell me, well, I, I'm not asking if they have time and I'm not asking, you know, if this is the right agenda, because if they tell me, no, I might not get another shot. And I always think, well, that's not collaboration. If you're just trying to plow into something without them willingly agreeing to go along that journey with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and it's almost like you're scared of failure, and at that point, it's uh, it's not really a conversation that's gonna help you move your business forward. Not for the long run, that's for sure. So you know, and in, in the book, it talks about the three step start, which is a mini framework that helps you remember the pieces of it and such. But but you know, the key there is we have to when we're prepared. And we even those last minutes get our mental preparation and break our preoccupation. We're then in a good position to help them break their preoccupation and engage with us and earn the right to move forward in the rest of the conversation. So, you know, that's that's the start. And every conversation needs to start that way, whether you know the person or not, because I don't know many people just sitting around waiting for you to talk to them. And, and even if we have scheduled time most people are busy doing something else, you know, and then you're, we still are interrupting some something that they're thinking about or something that we're doing. And they might need a couple of minutes to help get their brain refocused so that we can have a meaningful information exchange. No, that's right. We have to ask and ask questions in order to engage them. It's almost like starting lubricating the conversation. Oh, that's a good analogy. Right. So we're engaging and we're earning the right to move forward. And then we can go, once we have permission, then we can go into the investigation and we can ask them questions to identify what you already talked about. We can identify their pawns. We can get that full story, which is the today, tomorrow, risk, reward, you know, point of information. Because with those points of information, we then can summarize, clarify with them, find out, you know, their opinions about their status. And then we earn the right and permission to go forward in the sale which is then when, okay, so this is what I understand. You know, this is happening now. It's creating this. Um, you need this to happen in the future because the benefits are this. And this is something we can help you with. Would you like to hear how? Now I have permission to go in to explain my solution. Mm. And I have a willing audience. Got it. It's the, one of the things you talk about in the whole investigation phase is idea of listening actively. So uncovering their pains, their opportunities and wants and needs, but also listening actively and also looking out for you not just carrying on with the conversation and sabotaging it or 
almost what you call looking out for your talking triggers because sometimes we have our own initial internal tendencies to just talk. Mm. Or we hear one thing they say and we're like, oh, good. Now it's, now I can tell them everything. Right. So it's it's discipline. And you know what? When you're in an active conversation and you're genuinely interested in what that other person is telling you, it's so much easier. Yeah. It is so much easier to engage and to listen when you have the best interest, their best interest at heart and try you're trying to understand what their real problems are. Right. And curiosity, because that's where, again, you've got to be patient to say, you know what? I might know these things, but, and so I would say we have to uncover information, but great questions help them discover, I mean, help them discover information that they might not have ever articulated or really thought about at a level that helps them understand they need to do something different or there's other options, there's opportunities they can capture, you know, et cetera. So our questions are important, but as you said, as important as that is, it's making sure that we are listening to what they're saying and then building off of that with them. And then people say to me, well, when do, how do I start showing them what I know if I'm just only asking them questions? But we can set up our questions giving expertise. So we can say, you know, Manny, you know, when I've talked to other business owners such as you, they've mentioned this, this, and this. And so I'm curious as to how does that play out in your business? Mm. So I set up that, hey, I'm in the know, right? Yeah. I talked to other people just like you. And here's a little insight. Now tell me about you. So I am showing my expertise along the way without dumping all this data on them. Yeah. So that's the investigative phase of the interview where we're getting into their problems, we're getting into their challenges, their wants and needs, and then we're we're going into connecting our solutions to their problems, their wants and needs, which is what you call the step of facilitation, right? Yeah, because facilitate means to make it easy. So we now need to make it easy for them to see how what we have or what we can do will help them with what they've told us about their pawns. And so it now doesn't become a date, like I said, the 12 data points, it becomes a, you know, so because this is, you know, your situation, here's what our service does, or here's what our product is going to do. And the key here is I've got to connect that immediately back into what's in it for them. So some people call it the features to benefits. I call it the what's to with it, because the what is a data point and I have to be the one that makes it easy for them to see the value of that by connecting that into a what's in it for them, which is mm -hmm. the benefit to them specifically. And that takes some real in the moment ability to make those connections. But if we've been listening, we're going to know how to make that connection. Mm, yeah, that's so huge because if we're not actively listening, if all we're thinking about is pitching, 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 we're not going to be able to even make the connection between what we're pitching in or what's in it for them and the solution that we're offering. And when people tell me afterward, like if they're doing a recommendation after the fact or a proposal and they're like, I can't come up with any specifics here. It's like, well, then you didn't do a good investigation. You're not really in a good position to articulate your value and what it can do. And it's premature and now that person's going to get that information and they're judge and jury versus being a collaborator along with you and seeing what that value is. Mm. Because you're now leaving it up to them to have to try to figure out what that is. How does this benefit me? Yeah. So it was our job. We leave it to them. And that is a dangerous place to be 
-hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it really is. All right, then what's the next step after that? Well, a part of that is often when you might hear an objection or you might hear a concern or we should be digging out, do they have any concerns or objections? So we don't want to move to consolidating and ending our conversation until we identify whether they have any concerns about what we've already discussed today. And so we need to ask for and then work through collaboratively concerns or objections. Um, And then once we know that there's no other concerns or objections, then we can consolidate that conversation. And this to me is what many entrepreneurs miss. They spend a lot of time, energy, and resources to get into conversations. And they know they need to do fact-finding. And they're probably good about telling their story of, their, of how they can help people. And then they leave the conversation with assumptions versus specifics. So... In consolidating every conversation, we summarize, we confirm, you know, value, and we ask for a specific commitment or decision or action. And it might not be the buy. It might be the next meeting and getting it scheduled right then so we're not chasing them afterward. It might be the commitment that someone else is going to be in our next conversation. It might be a commitment that they've got data they need to gather so that they can provide it to us you know, as more fact-finding. But we need to be very clear at the end of each conversation of what's happening next and have an agreement on that. And that alone is going to make a huge difference for most people in their conversations. It's they leave too many meetings with loose assumptions versus firm commitments to action. This is great because we're tying all the loose ends together. We're making sure this conversation actually leads somewhere rather than just stays there hanging. And that's, you know, some people think that that's so self-serving, but you know what? That person, if they've just spent 30 minutes with you or an hour with you, they need to know that that time was productive too. Mm-hmm. And our time is productive when it's going somewhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with moving things forward when we know they're for the benefit of both the parties. Exactly. And again, it's being clear on what is that next action. It's not always a buy decision. It's but what's next and being clear on that. Great. So we've covered quite a bit of ground here. We've talked about the process. We've talked about the inner game, the mindset of the sales process in some ways. So let's now, Nancy, take a step back from this whole interview or from this book and in some ways from what you've been teaching all these years and give our listeners some very specific guidance, specific action items, homework, whatever you want to call it, as simple as it can be or as complex as it you want it to make it, but something that will help them put these ideas to practice. All right. So for specific actions that are, you know, can potentially just accelerate your effectiveness in conversations, the first is to prepare, as we've already discussed, mm-hmm. and to prepare for the specific situation. What is the objective? What can you research in advance to find out more about that person and their situation so that you don't have to waste time with them asking for things that you could have found out? And instead, your time with them is confirming and clarifying information that you already have. So preparation, first on paper or online, and then that mental prep right before to break your own preoccupation. To me, that is something you have complete control over, and is a really powerful best practice. 
Got it. All right. Let's talk about the other ones too. All right. The second one is to do everything with a focus on what's in it for them. Mm. So as an entrepreneur, this means you probably have control over operations, over marketing, et cetera. And if everything in your company is focused and your culture is focused on what's in it for them, meaning that other stakeholder, you are going to have relevancy. You are going to have a better brand. You are going to make better connections. So I always say whatever document you're producing, reread it afterward with a, does this explain what's in it for them? Or is this all about me? Mm, Got it. What's in it for them? Yep. That's the key. And then my third specific is to end every conversation with a specific commitment and next steps agreed upon then to stop yourself from having to chase later. Yep. This makes so much sense. We start from the beginning, we have the middle of the conversation, and then we're ending the conversation with a very specific ask or request or a closing. So it kind of ties the whole conversation together and gives a very neat structure for anyone mm-hmm. to follow. Nancy, this has been fun. This has been a lot of fun, a lot of great learning for our listeners as well. Tell our listeners how to find you get hold of you get the book find your training all that good stuff all right conversations that sell you can get it on amazon or barnes and noble and then you can also find me on linkedin i I love it when people connect with me on linkedin and then our website is www.salesproinsider.com and on there you can link to me you can get to our twitter account our facebook account you can sign up for our newsletter and get every other week Uh, good tips, very practical things like we've just talked about today. So my ambitious friends, I have a very important question for you. What is the single biggest indicator and predictor of success? Because in my reading of over 1000 books, I have found out that there is one common thread, one common indicator that ties all of the greatest success stories in this world. And this is a factor that has been emphasized again and again and again in the greatest books ever written on the topic of accomplishing our goals. The greatest thinkers and achievers have all said the same thing. From Marcus Aurelius, the Stoic philosopher 2,000 years ago, to the greatest UFC fighters of today. And from champion athletes like Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan to big-time entrepreneurs like Elon Musk. So, Here at 2000 Books, we have created a 90-day course specifically on this topic where we summarize 40 of the greatest books ever written on this topic. So reading these books, reading these 40 books can take you almost 250 plus hours. And if you read one hour every day, Monday through Friday, every week, this reading can take you a year. But what we have done is we have summarized the knowledge from these books into daily 5 to 10 minute bite-sized videos so that you can absorb a new idea or a couple of new ideas every single day and take action on them, take action on them and build them over time over a period of 90 days. So come check out this course at 2000books.com slash tough, that's T-O-U-G-H, tough, or text the word Tough, T-O-U-G-H, to 44222 and get more information on this course. The course is now live and you can join at any time. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside of the course.